Well, good morning, Redeemer. Great being with you on this holiday weekend. It's so good to be back in San Antonio. I have just two trips left to make to Los Angeles. Thanks be to God. Two times in June. Yes, praise God. Uh, a new pastor has been called for Pacific Crossroads, Alex Watlington. We are excited for that congregation. We do give thanks to the Lord for that. The Lord is good to his people. Welcome into the book of Acts. Matt did a wonderful job opening up this new series for us. The story of Acts, right, is the story of the church. It's the story of Jesus after he has taken up, continuing to do amazing acts through his gospel through us, his people, not just those first disciples, but people continuing this ministry like us. And it's the story, right, of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who's poured out, who helps the people of Christ do these continuing works in his name. So this is Spirit Day. This is the day that we remember the Holy Spirit being poured out in fullness long ago, 2,000 years ago, a day that is still crucial for us. If the Spirit Day doesn't happen the gospel doesn't get to us. The gospel doesn't continue to move and work through us. Let's listen in as Luke describes this day of Pentecost, Spirit Day. Acts 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh God, the Holy Spirit, we praise and worship you together with the Father and the Son as God. You are the Spirit of life and love that flows from the Father and Son, a love that is so rich and deep and powerful and alive that you're a person, the third person of the one God. Thank you for coming down, not just upon Jesus at his baptism, but now on all of us, his people, who were baptized into him. 
Thank you for being poured out by the Father and the Son to bring the salvation and the life of God to the world. Thank you for being the spirit of conversion in us and through us, sometimes going beyond us, without us, or even against us, Holy Spirit. May you be as active and as alive and at work in us and around us as you were on that very first day when Pentecost was fulfilled. Lord, come now, Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, happy Memorial Day weekend as well, as Matt mentioned in his prayers. I love Memorial Day weekend because it's the official sort of kickoff to summer, and I'm a big-time summer person. I love it because Major League Baseball is in full swing. The sport of sports is going on, and baseball is your friend every day. It's there for you. Some people say it's 162 games. There's a lot of days where baseball is your friend. It's very good. I love that. Um, I love it because my wife's birthday always falls right around this weekend every year. And I, I love what we remember on Memorial Day, you know, uh, in, the, in sort of the voice of Saving Private Ryan. Um, we've been given by those who have died on battlefields to protect our freedoms. We've been given this space of freedom to use our lives well, to continue that freedom, to promote that freedom. And so we thank those, all of you who serve in the military. We thank especially those who have given family members who died in that service. And we pray for you particularly. And we remember you on this weekend. But we have a greater memorial. And that is of not the many who have died to help many others, but of the one who has died, our Lord Jesus Christ, to give life to a whole world of people. Our Lord Jesus Christ died and he rose again and he ascended on high and there at the right hand of the Father, he continues his work of pressing his good news of life and love and forgiveness and renewal out into the world by his Spirit. The Spirit comes. The Spirit is poured out so that we will remember always Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and so that we live enjoying and knowing that freedom, sharing that freedom with the whole world, a freedom that will truly last forever, a freedom that makes us truly and utterly free from sin and death and judgment and misery. God, the Holy Spirit. J.I. Packer famously said, the theologian, I love it, he said, you know, that, that sort of the Holy Spirit is like the shy member of the Trinity, that he's the one sort of in the background, that he doesn't really come to the forefront very often and all, that he shines the light on the Father and the Son. And I love that image. But sometimes we're guilty of not so much seeing the Spirit as this third sort of shy member of the Trinity. We forget that he's there at all functionally. You know, Presbyterian pastors are often making jokes among ourselves. Does, do we even remember that there's a Holy Spirit sometimes in our congregations? Are we looking for a newness, a life in the Spirit that would make others accuse us in the words of N.T. Wright there in our bulletin, in, in sort of that front set of quotes? Are we ready for a life from the Spirit that would make others accuse us that we are drunk at nine in the morning? Or do we just want things decently and in order? 
we are functionally guilty of not sort of saying the Spirit's the shy member. We're just sort of functionally forgetting him altogether often to sort of despising him. The worst form, right, of despising has often been said, or hatred has been said, that you ignore somebody. And we can be guilty of that. Holy Spirit, forgive us. God, Father, Son, forgive us. This is the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is a festival that always was one of the three great festivals, right, in the Old Testament calendar. There is first Passover when it's remembered that God delivered his people out of Egypt, right? Then there it comes 50 days later, the Feast of the First Fruits, the Feast of Pentecost, it would later become to be called. When, when you remembered the first of the harvest and brought it before the Lord and celebrated, and you remembered that 50 days out of the deliverance, right, God gave his people his law on Sinai. So here's Pentecost transformed. Luke says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, literally he says, when it was fulfilled. That's the most literal rendering of that first verse. So here's what Pentecost was always about. A real first fruits, the first fruits of the Holy Spirit who comes not only to just help us remember the law, but the gospel of Jesus Christ that fulfills the law, that completes the law, that gives us hope to go back to the law, filled by the Spirit to live it out as those who have been forgiven and given a perfect righteousness, not our own. A righteousness that comes from God and is in Jesus and is by faith. So here's where Pentecost is fulfilled. How is it still fulfilled in us today? How can we, remembering Spirit Day, have the Holy Spirit move in us afresh as He did on that day? First, consider that the Spirit comes as fire right on that day. What do you notice in these verses? That the Spirit comes as fire and rests upon them. Whenever fire appears in Scripture, right, it pictures God. It's one of the ways God pictures himself. You think about, right, the fire of the burning bush that Moses saw from a distance. It had to go and see, and he realizes it's an expression of who God is, and he must take his sandals off and worship on that holy ground. It, it reminded him, I'm sure, of a time long ago before that God would tell him about in greater detail about Abraham. When God appears in a flaming torch, a, a flaming oven, and passes between these pieces of animal flesh back in Genesis chapter 15, ratifying his promises to bless Abraham and make him a blessing to the world, making covenant with Abraham. God appears to seal that covenant with fire, Genesis chapter 15. It's, it's the fire right that God leads Israel through the desert with. In the day, a pillar of cloud. At night, a pillar of fire. It's fire that God comes down upon Sinai in the giving of the law. It's fire that God uses to show that He is the true God as He consumes the sacrifice that Elijah makes against all the prophets of Baal who tried to call down fire from the heavens and could not. But God comes even overwhelming the drenching of a sacrifice multiple times and consuming it. God is a holy fire. And that's the amazing thing, isn't it? Like with the burning bush, 
fire comes on these first Christians and they are not consumed. They're not consumed. Hell is a fire, right? Because it's the place where God consumes all that is against him, all that will not submit to him, all that will not look for his grace. But the fire of God, when it comes upon the followers of Jesus through the Spirit, becomes a renewing fire because Christ has borne those flames of judgment for us in his cross, in his death, and he proves that by his resurrection. And so when his spirit is sent out, when he and the Father send the spirit from the heavens to be upon us, just as it was on that first day of Pentecost, the fire doesn't consume us. It renews us now because Jesus has borne the flames of judgment for us. And the fire can renew us. Peter and James talk about, right, the fire of God's grace being like taking metal and purifying it so that the dross is burned away. And that's our hope in the gospel, right? The gospel of the Spirit is that we are renewed. We're like little burning bushes. We're amazingly not consumed. God is present on us by His Spirit. And yet the fire renews us rather than consumes us. Where do you need? Where do I need as we reflect on this spirit day? The spirit to come upon us afresh in this season. We have a whole season ahead of Pentecost. It's really literally the next months of the church. We often call it ordinary time, but but it's it's more traditionally called the season of Pentecost. Yes, it's a season of growth, but it's a season of renewal. We've got red up here today on this Sunday of Pentecost to say, where do we need the fire of God to come upon us and renew us? Not judge us, not condemn us, not consume us, but renew us and purify us. Moses had to write, turn aside. The text in Exodus said he couldn't help himself. He had to stop and turn and see this thing, this burst that burned but was not consumed. That's what the world needs from us is to see our lives living utterly by grace, our lives hidden in Christ, in God, all by grace, right? We have this righteousness, we have this forgiveness, we have this life, this love. But now the Spirit comes on us and renews us, and we are not consumed. God burns away the dross and purifies us. Where do our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our children, our parents, right, our siblings, even our enemies, right, where do they need to see the refining work of God in us that makes them turn aside? It's really interesting here in this text that, that it seems that everybody hears the wind blowing and everybody is going to hear these tongues being spoken. We're coming to those two things next, right? But it's, it's questionable whether others saw these, these flames of fire, whether only the first apostles saw it on each other. You really can't tell from the text. But what is clear is that everybody saw Peter we're going to hear his sermon next week at the end of chapter 2 on this day of Pentecost. Everybody saw this Peter who was afraid to stand up for Jesus on the night of his betrayal and as he entered into his passion, who, who cursed a servant girl because she tried to identify him as one of Jesus' followers, right? They see this same Peter 
boldly declaring Jesus as crucified and risen to save a whole world of people. They see transformation begin. They see these, these first apostles, right, who were greedy and envious and wanted power and status, all while Jesus walked with them, right, who wanted honor, who wanted their names and their places to be in the highest spots, right? They see these people begin to be transformed, humble servants who gives their lives away, their property, their goods, their time, their prayers, their very lives away for this progress of the gospel. They see transformation. Where does the world need to see the transforming fire of the Spirit in us? I want you to pray about that today, this week. Ponder that. We don't have community groups going on now. Take time. Talk to your friends about it. Process this together. Spirit, come on me as fire. Well, the Spirit comes as fire. The Spirit also comes, right, as we said, as a wind. What does the text says? There's a sound from the heavens of a mighty blowing wind. Jesus pictured what was going to be coming on Pentecost, right? When he was in the upper room on Easter night, when he breathed on the first disciples, and he said, receive my spirit, and he breathed on them. And it was this little picture, this little image, right, of what would happen at Pentecost of the winds of heaven coming down and filling their lives of a mighty rushing wind. The very breath of God, the breath of Jesus, breath from above. I love what Gerhardus Voss says. He says the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is like the sea breeze of heaven blowing into the lungs of our souls, filling us and renewing our lives and refreshing us like nothing else can This is what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the gospel of Jesus, crucified and risen. And that's all Peter's going to preach about, right? As the text goes forward. And it brings refreshment and renewal to thousands of people on this day. You know, my family... Um, we, we're not getting to do it this year because just of all the changes, but we'll hope to get back in sync next year. We'd love to go to the beach at least for one week together every year. And we've got a place in South Carolina that we've gone most years, um, James Island in South Carolina there. And there's this long causeway. And every time you get to it, I love to just, as that causeway begins, open up the windows of our car and let those first beach sea breezes come in and just feel, and I always just say, I love to feel that sea air. Even if it's late at night, I'd roll them all down, let it come in, because I want that freshening and that life. That's what the Spirit does when you open yourself up to it. It's life and joy and fullness and hope. But notice also, what does Luke say here? It's a mighty wind. The text talks about it being forceful. Some texts even talk about it being as being a violent wind. That's how some translations are here. And I think that's a good picture because what does the Spirit do when He's blowing and moving in our lives? He's going to turn things over. He's going to take things out of our hands that we want to clutch on to and blow them away. The joy and the freshness of the Spirit also comes hand in hand with his upheaval. 
with his changing things, pulling things out of his hands. I can remember as a little boy, the first time I can have a vivid memory, my grandmother was taking care of me. My parents are away on a little trip and I was about four years old. The first time I can remember a hurricane passing through in central Florida, one of many experiences that would happen in the course of 60 years of life. A lot of it lived in that part of the world. But uh, I remember watching all of our lawn furniture just blow kind of all the way down our backyard, down toward the lake. We lived our backyard, sort of was onto a lake. And, and my grandmother sending me out there to help her. We got it, Paul, we got to get these chairs in. We got to get them inside the garage. And see, if we just try to hold on to the things that seem so precious to us, we lose. We have to let the Spirit blow where He will. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, the Spirit's going to blow where He will. You'll just see the evidences of that. Where's the Spirit? Where do you sense Him? Wanting to blow your life around. To take something away that you're just clutching onto. That's maybe holding you back from real joy, from real witness. That's what, if, if Fran and I learned anything in these last three or four years, it's just that we can't clutch anything. You think, I always thought when you get to be 60, life's easy and you just kind of coast. And no, it didn't. No, it didn't. The Spirit has blown us around more in these last couple of years than, than almost it seems like our whole lives put together. Blew us out to Los Angeles, and now He's blown us here, and we're so grateful. Where does he want to blow you, move you? What does he want to take out of your hands? Where does he want to move in your lives? How does he want to make his gospel flow to you and through you? The wind blows where it wishes. But that's life. The Spirit is fire. The Spirit is a wind. And lastly, the Spirit are these tongues. The Spirit comes down and, and, and the wind and the fire is in the shape of these tongues. And it's not just in the shape of this, this special miracle that they're seeing on top of each other, right? These flaming tongues of fire. But what happens, right? These first disciples begin to speak the gospel in the languages of all the peoples there. The, all these different languages represented from all over the Mediterranean world. I'm not going to do that list over again. We just read it, right? It's from all over their known world. And all these people are in Jerusalem, right, to celebrate this feast of weeks, this feast of the first fruits, this Pentecost time. And God wants to give them something that explodes Pentecost out, that fulfills it in a way beyond what they can imagine. And part of what happens is everyone can hear the gospel in their own language. Now, clearly, this is a miracle, right? The people say, these guys are all just Galileans. How are they speaking all these different tongues and languages? It's clearly a miracle. But note that all of these are known languages, and for the purpose of presenting a known message, the message that Peter is going to preach soon with one voice about Jesus' death and resurrection and hope that we have in him, that we can repent and be baptized and be found in him and find forgiveness and life. It's a miracle, yes. 
But the tongues thing, right, is not so much how we make it out to be. Clearly, there are other expressions in the Bible that can point to special prayer language, that can point to tongues that are unknown. We can read about that in Paul's letters. That's for another day, right? But what's here is these are ordinary languages miraculously given by the Spirit so that the gospel can be intelligible for everyone. When the Spirit is moving in us, He will give us utterance through our words, yes, but our whole lives that makes the gospel intelligible for all around us. That makes it so people can see and hear Jesus. Michael Horton wrote a book. It's called Ordinary. Um, I haven't read it. I want to, but I love what he just sort of says in some summation about it is, this is a time where the world is radical and restless. That's sort of the subtitle of the book. And what's needed is not so much more radical or more restless movement. What's needed are ordinary Christians believing this gospel through word and prayer and sacrament and sharing it with their lives. I love that. I love that. That's what Pentecost is ultimately about. Are you willing for the Spirit, yes, to renew you, to cleanse you, to purify you, yes, to shake you up, to give upheaval in your life, to bring you a joy from the heavens that refreshes you and others, this kind of sort of combination there? But are you willing in the ordinary for the Spirit to miraculously make ordinary moments full of heaven, full of hope, full of life, full of Jesus? There have been all manner, right, of postings about Tim Keller the last week plus, right after his death and there's so many good postings out there. You can just sort of scroll that on social media or uh, things in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, just amazing pieces about Tim Keller, the PCA pastor in New York City who's gone now to be with Jesus, founder of City to City. Um, this church, with even its naming, wants to say we're, we're connected with Tim Keller and Redeemer New York. There's so much good written. But one of the best things I saw written was just somebody quoting what Tim Keller said, and he said, paraphrasing, that if the gospel is not real, if Jesus is not risen, then nothing really matters, and what you do with your life doesn't matter, and where it's all going doesn't matter, because everyone is going to forget everything about everybody. But if Jesus is risen from the dead, and his spirit is now poured out, then everything matters. The most ordinary and normal things are full of the divine. I love that. I love that. I want to leave you with a story, and it's a story uh, in one of Os Guinness's books, the famous Christian writer, and yes, connected to the Guinness Brewing Company as well. So good things came out of that family, right? Um, but... Um, but Os Guinness writes about a woman, this was during the era of the potato famine, 
in Ireland, and she was very poor. She was uh, um, an orphan, and she met at the orphanage this young man who was also an orphan, and they sort of grew up together there, and, and they reached maturity, and, and they marry, and they're both very young in their late teens, and, and they marry, and they hope to forge a life together, and, uh, you know, and she's pregnant early in their marriage, and then suddenly he dies um, in a plague. And she not only doesn't have any family herself, she has no family to go to from her husband. She has nothing, and she's got this baby. And so she walks to the edge of the town by the riverside to go throw herself in the river. She wants to have the courage to just end her life. She doesn't want to bring a child into the world with this kind of misery. But while she's sitting there trying to take courage enough to take her own life, she watches on the other side of the river, and there's a farmer just out plowing his field of bottom land, just on the other side of the river. And she notices just from this distance how straight the lines are. There's just he and his plow and his mule, and he's just plowing his lines. And she notices the beauty of those rows. And then she begins to hear him across the river singing, and he's singing songs that she has learned back in the orphanage, back about Jesus. And he's plowing and he's singing, and he's singing of his hope in Jesus as he does this most ordinary of things. And something about that touches her. And she decides, maybe life is worth living. Maybe I can go on. Maybe my baby can go on. And she walks up from that riverside and goes back into town. And she is one of the mothers, grandmother, great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother, I don't know which one, in the line of Os Guinness himself, in the line of this family. You never know when the most ordinary of things done in the hope of this gospel of Jesus with the Spirit empowering you, making your most ordinary moments divine, you never know what Christ will do to change a person, to change the world. May this Spirit day change and renew us in the hope we have in Jesus May it renew this church. May it renew this city. May it renew the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gospel of Jesus. Jesus, thank you for working all of these things out. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming out from the Father and the Son in fullness on that day when Pentecost was fulfilled, when the first fruits truly became real because you came into our lives and into the world so Holy Spirit, move afresh now. Be fire and renew us. Be wind and bring upheaval where it's needed. Bring joy and refreshness, refreshment into our life. And Lord, give us tongues. Give us utterance to proclaim the gospel in ordinary ways that others can see and believe and know you, Jesus. Come Holy Spirit. We pray it all in your name together with the Father and the Son. Amen.